So you can spend 20 grand in PPC, not make any money. That's horrible. You can spend our average right now. Our February deal cost was insanely low. It was 1800 bucks per signed contract for PPC. That's probably about half what most of our competitors do in our market. But that's also because of just, you know, how we're able to monetize every lead every way we can and how we like the in-person touches with these folks. You just have a conversation with a seller. You find out what do they want? What do they need? What do they think they need? Because it's always different. They always think they need, oh, I need a billion dollars for my house. No, what do they actually need? Well, I need to not have this problem. And it's crazy. Absolutely. Absolutely. You make a ton of money doing that as a entry strategy. But the key to that, the key to any negotiation is to just have a conversation with a seller. Find out, you know, what's the deal? Hi, everybody. Jose Luis Morales here. Welcome back to another episode of the Morales Group Show. Today, we have a very special guest. His name is TJ Cozen. Uh, he is a real estate investor. And today he is going to be talking to us about how to find flip houses and how to find fixer upper homes by having multiple different marketing channels. Meaning like one of the things that most people have challenges in is how do you find the deal? How do you go out and find fixer upper properties or properties that you can buy below market value? Today, TJ is going to be explaining that to us. So welcome to the show, TJ. How are you? Oh, pretty good, Jose. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate being on. Of course. So for our viewers who don't know who TJ Cozen is, who is TJ? And tell me if I'm mispronouncing your last name. Uh, who oh, is perfect. TJ and how did you get involved in this uh, wonderful world of real estate investing? Well, you want to talk leads, you want to talk the backstory. <laughs> it's, been a, it's been a while, man. I know you've been in real estate a while too. Uh, I got it in 2006. So my first deal was actually 112 units, uh, apartment units out of town. I'm from San Diego originally. Um, only problem in 2006 was 2008 was right around the corner. So that was an exciting time for, I think, everyone that was in the market at the time. Um, long story short, ended up moving to Dallas uh, about nine years ago. And right now we run a pretty relatively high volume, I guess, for us, um, real estate investment company. We focus mostly on single family. Uh, we've done apartments. We've done self-storage. We've done some other stuff in the past. But our really core focus is uh, off-market, direct-to-seller uh, marketing for distressed residential real estate. And then... From that perspective, we really take it from what is the from from negotiation all the way to exit strategy. What are the core fundamentals of the deal itself, the seller's motivation, the seller's desires, the seller's needs? And then how do we optimize an exit strategy to fit with the seller to try to really we like to say we try to close every closable deal possible. So that way we're really optimizing our, you know, optimizing our lead cost uh, and optimizing our exit strategy on the back end. So that's that's the that's the short version. I love it. So I think what I hear you saying is that you have all these different marketing channels that you use on how to attract leads. Once the lead comes based on what the seller wants, you figure out what is the way to monetize that lead, whether it be a wholesale, whether it be a hotel, whether it be a creative finance type of deal, whether it's a burr, just different types of ways of monetizing it. But the main thing is just obviously how to generate these leads. For our viewers, when you say high volume, what does that mean? Just medium volume i don't know it depends if you're in southern california it might mean something different than if you're in iowa or uh, something like that uh for us uh, for me anyway we have 32 deals on the board right now uh, and our average turnover ratio monthly is probably about 30 percent, more or less I love some it. of those deals you know a flip will stay on the board uh, upwards to six months a wholesale obviously stays on the board as, as short as possible hopefully only two or three weeks so it, it just yep. depends on the deal I love it. Now, for our viewers, you want to make sure to stay till the end because we're going to be going over about 10 different marketing channels that, that we utilize to obviously get deals. So like, let's say that you're a newer real estate investor and I wanted to get my first deal. 
um, what are some of the different things that I can do to get my first deal? Or what would maybe be the easiest marketing channel to get your first deal? Dude, so what I like to say is every single channel works and it really is so individualized to what the person's abilities, competencies, and times are. Because if you have you know time and money and ability, man, sky's the limit. Uh, blow it up and come and compete with me, no problem. If you only have maybe you know one of those, maybe all you have is time, you're gonna start with something simple, right? You're gonna start with bandit signs, you're gonna start with driving for dollars. And you know, we even do that. When we send our acquisition guys out to go look at a house, we like doing it in person because we find we have a higher conversion ratio and we're just able to buy better and make a better connection with the seller. We'll we'll have them drive for dollars in the neighborhood and pick up a couple of leads. And we close, I wouldn't say a ton of deals, but we close deals that way. So people that maybe don't have, if you can afford gas money, you can afford Uber. If you're, uh, what do you call it? If you're driving for Uber, maybe you just start pinning stuff, driving for dollars. And you skip trace the owners, you skip trace the owner's neighbors, call them. Hey, your house looks like, you know, have a nice conversation with them. I happen to notice, like I was driving the area, local real estate investor, thinking about buying in the area. Do you know any of them might want to sell and just convert a deal that way? Super low cost, but super high time. Um, and we still do it. Like, we still do it. We still do the bandit sign thing a little bit. Uh, a little bit different and we still do the driving for dollar thing uh, on the completely opposite end of the spectrum um uh, ppc leads ppc leads are huge for us our lead cost is actually pretty reasonable for what we're doing but we've been doing it a long time but it's easy like any of these marketing channels it's easy to do any of these things wrong spend a lot of money and not not like actually have a payout so you can spend 20 grand in ppc not make any money that's horrible you can spend our average right now, our February deal cost was insanely low. It was 1800 bucks per signed contract for PPC. That's probably about half what most of our competitors do in our market. But that's also because of just, you know, how we're able to monetize every lead every way we can and how we like the in-person touches with these folks. I love it. I love it. So let's go over the driving for dollars really quick. We'll go over bandit signs and then we'll go over PPC and then we'll get into the rest of them. Um, so driving for dollars, like what would somebody look for? And what does that even mean? Like driving for dollars for like maybe somebody who's kind of newer to this. Am I allowed to cuss on your show? Absolutely, man. Okay. So you're driving around, right? Maybe if you're an Uber driver or you just happen to be driving around the, you know, whatever these areas are, you're driving around and you see a house and you go, oh shit. So you see an <laughs> oh shit house. And what does that mean? It means like you're looking at it like it stands out, right? There's something different. And sometimes you don't even know what it is. It's just like you can identify a flip in a neighborhood that's, you know, got a lot of variation. Like, oh, that's a flip house. Why is it a flip house? Maybe the brick is painted the current, like, cool flip colors. The Right now, I guess we were doing, like, Battleship Gray about three years ago. Now we're doing the more the more lighter colors with maybe a darker trim. Like, oh, that's a flip house. It's got cedar posts. No problem. That's a flip house. Well, that's got weeds up to here. It's got a trash can that's fallen over. It's got missing roof shingles. That's an oh shit house. Oh, shit. What's wrong with that house? And then tag the house. I like old school. You want to tag it old school. You know, write it down. You want to save all the money? You don't need an app for that. You just write it down right there. You want to absolutely save money? Go on what peoplesearch.com or something. I don't. I don't know. Like we pay for all that stuff. But just put it online. Google it. Find out who owns the thing, and give them a call and just have a conversation like like a person. Uh, everyone thinks there's a, like a super secret trick to like how to buy houses. Uh, you know, how to buy distressed houses. You just have a conversation with a seller. You find out what do they want. What do they need? What do they think they need? Because it's always different. They always think they need, oh, I need a billion dollars for my house. No, what do they actually need? Well, I need to not have this problem properties costing me landscaping that I'm not paying for. This cost me taxes. That's, you know, whatever it is. Um, or I need to, you know, pay for something or whatever. They always have a fundamental need. Find out what that is. 
find out how you can fix it, and then find out how you can merge an exit strategy with that. I would love to say that we could wholesale every single deal we get and make 25, 30K wholesale and just ramp that up. In this market, you know, maybe two years ago, that may be feasible. In my opinion, in that market, that's kind of a low margin way to really scale up a business. We like really maximizing the exit strategy. It gives us way more flexibility when we're buying. It gives us more flexibility when we're talking to sellers in terms of what we're able to offer them. And then it also makes us more money on the back end with the deal too, because now we have fundamentally an asset that we have more options with. If we're just doing a single exit strategy like wholesaling, well, then we have, we have to fit everything into a box and that's tough to do. Yeah, it, it basically for our viewers that don't know what this is, wholesaling is just buying the property at a discount and selling it at a discount as well too. What he's referring to is just having different ways of structuring the deal to be able to capitalize on the deal in different ways. And and I think that's great that you guys are doing that. Um, and then if for skip tracing, like uh, skip tracing is basically looking up phone numbers for, or looking up the information for homeowners. If somebody did want to invest a little bit of money, uh, how would they go about doing that? Let's say that they're driving for dollars. And would you ever knock on somebody's door? Like if the house looks distressed and just ask them, like, if you don't have a lot of money, would you consider selling the property? Would I, would I personally do it? No, because uh, <laughs> I've never done it. But uh, so, yeah, we have a we have a private group, too. And there's some guys in there that they build their entire business out of door knocking pre foreclosures. I mean, that's pretty low. That's pretty low, low barrier to entry, low skill. I mean, no offense to them. They're great people. They make a lot of money, but they just, Hey, I was in the neighborhood, uh, and have a conversation with a seller, like a normal person. And it's crazy. Absolutely. Absolutely. You make a ton of money doing that as a entry strategy. But the key to that, the key to any negotiation is to just have a conversation with a seller, find out, you know, what's the deal. If someone's in pre foreclosure, they're going to be a little apprehensive, a little standoffish. They know they're in a bad situation. They're getting mailed by every guy in town that wants to buy a pre foreclosure list and send them a letter. They're getting called by everyone already. They're getting texted by all the people still, still doing texting. Um, we don't do texting. It's never been something that I've actually enjoyed doing. But who they're going to connect with is the guy that comes up to their door, knocks on the door, and has a conversation. Now, are you going to get a lot of doors shut in your face? Well, yeah. But if you want to make money, um, sometimes you you know you got to deal with the rejection and you got to learn how to overcome the objections too. So that's that's another again low cost, really easy way to enter the market is just door knock pre foreclosures, for sure. I love it. I love it. Now, okay, what about bandit signs? Like uh, like how many of them do you put out? Like what is that? Yeah, so we actually use. So I mean, I don't love littering is a good marketing channel to like really scale up because let's be honest, they're kind of. They're a little borderline. I know there's some guys that build their YouTube page on talking about how to do it. Out here, you, know, you put them out on Thursday, they might get picked up by Friday. Uh, you put them out on Friday, they're probably going to stay out till Monday. So I mean, that's good. Um, we, we actually do them a little bit different. So we sell a lot of our deals offering seller financing where we create a note, we sell it to an end buyer, they give us a down payment, and then we basically have the loan. So it's like a sub two or a wrap. People are more probably familiar with that, but we're actually the bank. So we actually have the money and then you know, they, they bought the house and we offer the financing for them. And then we recapitalize that by either selling the note or selling a piece of the note and then collecting a cash, cash spread. Now that's a, that's a long way of answering your question. The reason I do it that way is what bandit signs are doing well for us right now is finding those buyers. So we're generating an internal buyers list of direct to retail buyers for some of these really, um, they're still pretty nice houses, like relatively, but they're maybe not like fully fixed out, like decked out houses, but they're very livable and just very nice houses. So, so we put out bandit signs that say, uh, um, I don't even know what they say. They're out there. Uh, basically, they say uh, house for sale with a cash down payment and a payment amount, something like that. And then lights up the phones. We will get, I don't know, a couple hundred phone calls over the weekend. 
we'll qualify some buyers. We'll add them to the buyers list. If they end up buying the house in the area that we put the bandit signs in, that's awesome. Uh, those houses tend to go pretty quick sometimes. And sometimes we'll have a buyer that was originally for this house. Maybe they got a house over here that's two or three miles away and they're still happy. So when we're doing that, we'll put out maybe, maybe we'll put out a hundred signs. We'll put out 30 in English. We'll put out 30 in Spanish. And then we'll put out 30, we buy houses signs um, and all the same handwriting and just kind of get what, get what comes in. So we'll close a couple deals on the acquisition side once in a while, but we use it really, really heavily as a dispo strategy doing our seller financing. I love it. That's actually the first time I've ever heard about it on a dispo uh, aspect of it, it, which is awesome because it's generating it works, some it leads. Cool. I love it. I love it. Cool. All right. So that's all we've already talked about, too. We've talked about driving for dollars. We talked about having bandit signs. What about PPC leads? Like if somebody wanted to set up a PPC campaign, would they just do it themselves? Would they hire a company? Do they need a website? What do you think the best strategies for that would be? Yeah, um, get a good referral for someone that's making it work for them. Because, like I said, I think I started out saying uh, all these different strategies absolutely 100% work, and all of these strategies can potentially have a 100% failure rate if you do them wrong. And PPC, the more money you spend on something, the more um, potential there is for an error. It's going to cost you a lot of money. So I know people that try to get into PPC, they spend eight, 10, 20 grand, and they, you know, maybe make a 0.5 R. They maybe make half of that back because they're not doing it right. Um, that being said, here's how you do it right. Uh, first, you get a good referral for a dude that's going to manage the PPC if you don't know how to do it yourself. Because if you want to be in the PPC management business, in which case maybe you should just start an agency and sell that service, or do you want to be in the real estate business? Um, I remember, like for example, here's a good anecdote. I remember look, asking asking Facebook for a eviction attorney uh, because we had a squatter like a couple years ago. I put on Facebook. It's really active in the DFW market. Hey, I need a good eviction attorney. I got three sent to me. I actually already knew two of them. So whatever. But a lot of the comments were, dude, you can just do it yourself. Here's how you do it. Like, I know how to do it. Um, I know how to put it in my own granite or my own flooring, but I don't do it. Uh, same thing with like something like PPC. I think so oftentimes in the, in the marketplace, a lot of kind of operator guys want to be just do everything themselves. And it's good to have an understanding of how to do that. But it's better, in my opinion, to hire the professionals that actually know how to do it. So we use a buddy of mine that I've known for years, and he's a great guy. Um, He's who we use, and we're very joint in terms of like how to set up the campaign. Structurally, how to do it, you need a website. You can't go fishing without a net. So your website is the net that catches the stuff, and then you got to put stuff in there. So you put stuff in there by basically driving traffic to the website, and you do that by paying. Uh, we've tried Bing, I'll be honest, and I could never get Bing to monetize. We do it by giving Google uh, a lot of money, and then Google sends us leads. So the main like high-end philosophy on that is where does everyone go for their answers to everything? They go online. Like, hey, I need a new swimming suit. Uh, I need, you know, I don't know what people do. I don't know. Whatever. I need to buy something. Oh, hey, I got a crappy house. I need to sell my house. I'm going to ask the internet for the solution to all my problems. Dear internet, I have a crappy house. How do I sell it? You're going to see our ad. It's going to pop up. You're going to click on it. That's the answer to the problems. You're going to have a nice prominent call to action on top of the website that says, well, you need to sell your house? Click here. We'll buy your house. I mean, it's that simple. Um, they click there. And then from there, it's the race race to the finish line. So two years ago, speed to lead, and I don't mean the company, they're good people too, but I mean getting to the lead quickly, responding quickly, and being the first one to get back to them is huge in terms of your conversion ratio, in terms of actually making that lead turn into a deal. I remember we had a lead come in. I don't really take, I haven't talked to a seller in probably a year and a half, but about three years, two and a half years ago, one of the last leads I actually talked to, um, 
no one else was in the office. They were at a networking event. I was hanging out with my operations guy. It was hot. I think uh, I was in a tank top and like gym shorts in the office. And a lead came in. No one else could take it because they were in the other part of town. So I, I talked to the guy. And I'm like, damn, I don't want to talk to this guy. Um, I got guys for that, right? So I take the call. And we have a conversation. He says a bunch of stuff. And it's like, mm, he sounds kind of kind of urgent-ish. And he says two things that are really important. He says a price that made a lot of sense to me. He said uh, he's trying to sell his mom's house. Well, all the siblings are in town. Mom's perfectly like confident and aware, but she wants to help him out with the situation. And, oh, I've been trying to get this other guy to come out and look at it uh, a couple of times. It's like, oh, man, now i got to go see this house. So um, he said all those things right in line. In 45 minutes, I went from my office to my house. I literally had to put on pants uh, and drove out to his house that he was trying to sell. Weird dude, right? He says, oh, yeah, here's the house. Walk through it and take a look. Like, you want to show me the house? not really you know what you're looking at right like i mean i guess i've seen houses before so i walked to the house it looks like grandma's house you know like you'd expect it was a nice little house um go outside have a conversation with the guy I said well you, you gave me a price on the phone your mom wants 120k out of the place uh cash in her pocket does she have a loan no loan okay cool um 120k works and i just flat out said like so if i you, you want to net that i don't know what your taxes are i don't know what your insurance escrow is i don't know any of that stuff why don't i give you 125k um, and why don't we do the deal? He says, you know what, if you can do that, I'll sign the paper right now. I says, well, you know, as a matter of fact, I happen to have a contract in my car. I go out and get it. I go out, we sit down on the couch that I end up having to throw out because I tell them to leave all the crap they don't want in the house and I'll take care of it for them. So we're sitting down, writing up the contract and all that stuff. And what do I hear? Right? I hear a knock on the door. It's that wholesaler that had been trying to get out there for two days and never bothered to make it, knocking on the door. He goes, excuse me, I'm going to go open the door. Opens the door. Says, hi, I'm here from so-and-so wholesaling company, blah, blah, blah. It's like, oh, I'm sorry, dude. I already sold the house to this guy. Wholesaler says, well, what if I can give you more? He says, I'm sorry. I already shook the man's hand and uh, I made a deal. If I was 10 minutes later, I would have lost out on $45,000 by not doing that deal. So I made 45K in 45 minutes and we ended up wholesaling the house. We didn't do anything to it. We didn't renovate it. Took the trash out, cleaned it up, made it nice, put it back on the market, uh, replaced the HVAC, did the foundation, and put in some new carpet. So we spent 15K. I mean, that's nothing for us, right? And then put it back on the market, made 45, 45K in 45 days. Um, so that it. was really key in the PPC space. And that's how you compete with that. That was yeah, a long it, answer. It, Sorry. It's awesome. No, I and I love it because uh, uh, we just started doing PPC and believe it or not. So I've been a real estate agent for like 12 years. And most of the ways that we reach out to people is just by reaching out to them via the telephone. And it's generated tons of leads for us, but we just started doing the PPC. We literally have a lead right now that wants to sell at 775 and market value is probably like a million one fifty basically. And she's like, Yeah, that's that's all I want right there. You know, I just want seven seventy five for it. If you guys can close it out in seven days, like that would solve all of our problems. So uh for the viewers that don't know what that is, it's basically if you see those sponsored ads on Google when you type in need to sell my home fast, those are the ads that start popping up. And people actually go on there and click on the websites, input their information, and get investors to go out there and make them an offer because you're solving a problem that they have, which I love that you guys are doing that. But that example is so true. So Bandit Science, Driving for Dollars, pay-per-click. What about like cold calling? Like, um, like if you wanted to implement like a cold calling strategy, and this one revolves like I almost feel like the pay-per-click would be easier. You're just receiving the lead through the cold calling, you might have to dig a lot more and it might take a lot more time, 
uh, but it may be less expensive than the pay per click as well too. So if yeah, I wanted no, to set up a cold calling campaign, what would be the the best way for me to to do that? Yeah, I would say cold calling is probably right in the middle in terms of a good combination of uh, like ease structurally in terms of how to do it, and then expense not being prohibitively expensive. I mean, all you really need to cold call, I guess, is a cell phone. Uh, you know, probably don't use your own because you don't want to get banned or you don't want to get like spam blocked or whatever. But it's a it's a good combination, like right in the middle, because PPC again, that's a perfect example. And I just I mentioned our contract price on PPC right now is in February, I think was eighteen hundred bucks, so it's super cheap. But you can definitely spend fifteen, twenty, thirty k in PPC and not get a not get a good return factor on that. Um, cold calling is especially on a individual like starting off basis, great way to start. Start with well, start with you know a phone. Um, start with a dialer if you want to scale up. So use some kind of multi line dialer so you can be calling a couple different lines at once. And then start with a list. And then the list is going to, to a certain extent, dictate the strategy for attacking the list. And not a lot of people talk about that. A lot of people talk about, well, hire a bunch of VAs and just call the crap out of every list that you can find. And eventually you're going to have some conversion ratio that works. And that's, you know, that's fine. But eventually, if you get to a decent size, A, you're calling the same list as everyone else. And B, you're going to run out of data. Even in a city the size of DFW, which is, what, six or seven million people, and we hit pretty much the entire North Texas region, you're going to be competing with people who literally own all the data that there is to call, and they just call. So how are you going to stand apart from that and be better than that? Well, you're either going to compete on volume or you're going to compete on, surf, on, on service level. And the way you compete on volume is by getting the VAs, and we have some VAs, and a lot of folks have VAs, and calling through the data and then going through a filter process and then a follow-up process. And some of the big guys in the cold call field will talk about maybe an 18-month cash conversion cycle between touch one, you know, call one, and actually monetizing a lead on the back end. Do you want to work 18 months to get paid 20K? I, I don't know, maybe. Do you want to work, you know, eight days to get paid 20K? I prefer to work eight days to get paid 20, 20K personally. So now we're going to hit a higher quality of list. So now we're going to hit a pre-foreclosure list, and we're going to approach it differently because uh, there's going to be a different motivation factor. So a broad-based, like everything encompassing list, maybe you're targeting a absentee landlord with high equity. So someone who's owned the house five years, 10 years, 20 years, or maybe an unknown number of years. That's gonna be a, a broad list that's relatively unqualified. If I'm making cash flow and I own two, and I live two states away, but I'm collecting, a, you know, I'm collecting even a thousand bucks on a house that should rent for 1800 bucks, in my mind, what's my motivation to sell? I don't know. So that's going to be a high touch, a high return, a high like process oriented thing versus if you're cold calling a pre foreclosure list, I don't exactly know the best way to approach the conversation, but hey, dude, you're going to lose your house in like a week and a half. Do you want to sell it to me and maybe not lose it? Or do you want to like give it to the bank and lose it? Which one do you want to do? I mean, that's there's a little more nuance that's, to it than that if you want to actually have it convert. But that's the gist of it. That's the conversation you're having. Um, I would recommend probably not cold calling like a probate list. That's a little rude. Uh, I've never done that. If anyone has done that, I'd love to hear about it. Uh, I don't really know how that conversation goes. Hey, I'm sorry, your grandma died. Do you want to sell me your house? Like, that's not great. So so pick like pick like one or the other. Pick like a broad, like volume-based business or pick like a niche targeted list. So what we do is we'll hit fire damage lists. We'll get those that data directly from the city. Um, we'll do dirt and lots. So we'll do that because it's not as saturated and they're still pretty liquid. We can still sell them pretty well. We'll do, um, we'll do pre-foreclosures. Uh, and what else will we do? That's pretty, uh, we'll do uh, code violations, water shutoffs, that kind of stuff. The data that's harder to get is more targeted. So right now, data is data has become a commodity in the marketplace with all the big data aggregators, with Batch, 
with PropStream, with even ListSource, which is a pain in the butt to use, data is just a commodity. Everyone has relatively the same data because there's only so much to get. So the actual legit data comes directly from the county uh, or directly from the municipality, and then it's going to be more up to date and it's going to be more uh, specific to whatever it is you're looking for. So I would imagine there's going to be a lot of crossover between like a batch and a like a list source list on high, high equity absentee landlords. Like, how many are there? I don't know. But maybe you want to dig a little bit deeper, take a list like that that you're cold calling and figure out who you can't skip trace, who's not popping up when you skip trace people like, hey, what are the unknown numbers? What are the numbers that you can't find? Well, those people are getting bypassed by all the big wholesale shops. They're probably getting bypassed by me because that's going to be a, more of a pain in the butt to find. And then do a deeper dive on those folks that you can't find. It's the same strategy as like a return mail campaign. If you're sending mail out, if you're sending out 20, 30,000 mailers and you get return mail, well, the return mail is who other people aren't reaching because you don't know where they are. And if you don't know where they are, well, the guys are just mailing everyone, you know, once a month or once every six weeks, they're still not mailing the guys that are getting returned. So try to find the people that no one else is finding and then make a deal with them. I love it. I love it. Cool. So, and for our viewers, like there's so many different lists or data pieces. You can do tax delinquency. If somebody's behind on their property taxes, you can do, um, reverse mortgages. If somebody has a reverse mortgage, you can call them. You can do, uh, people who have adjustable, uh, arms. You can do obituaries, people who have passed away. And I know that you said that you guys don't call probates. Uh, you can do, yeah, it seems, uh, that seems rude. I don't know. There's probably a good way to do it. I just don't know what it is. <laughs> Garage sales. You can do garage sales as well, too. Like if somebody's having, there's so many different lists that you can cold call, which is unbelievable. What I wanted to dig a little bit deeper um, is the fire damage list, the code violations and the water shutoff. Are there uh, lead providers that provide you with those? And if, or, uh, or let me ask it a different way for the fire damage list, code violations and water shutoff. How do you get those directly from the municipalities? Like who, who do you go to, to get these types of lists? So, it, dude, it depends. It, the answer is it depends. So uh, on the high level, there's not going to be a national list provider that I know of that has accurate data because you want the dude's house that just burned down like a month ago. You don't want the guy that burned down two years ago because that's already gotten rebuilt or bulldozed. Um, so it's going to be, at least in Texas, in our markets, it's going to be municipality-based. So each city is going to have on their website, they're going to have information. They're, some of them actually publish it on the website. Like, hey, here's our fire report list. And then you just go through there, you download the data, you figure out like how much of it's uh, residential, how much of it's commercial, how much of it's a grass fire in someone's front yard or something like that. And then it's just going to be so specific to the municipality. So, for example, we live in North Texas and DFW. Dallas is different than Plano. And Plano's you know a huge suburb that most people know about, too. Uh, it's different than Fort Worth. It's different than Farmers Branch and Carrollton, which is right between Dallas and Plano. Um, Farmers Branch and Carrollton, it's just on their website. You can download it right there on the website for free. Uh, someplace like Dallas, to be honest, I'm not really sure. I got a girl that does all that. But structurally, you do a, um, if there's pushback from the city, then you do a Freedom of Information Act request, submit it to the city, they get back to you. Sometimes there's a fee, like a per line item fee or a per document fee or a per page fee. It just depends on the city, but they more or less got to give it to you. They don't have to give you a lot of private information, like the actual person's names, you know, the privacy stuff, but they got to give the address. And then from the address, well, now you've got the same as a driving for dollars list, except for you didn't have to go drive for it. So then you just dump it back into like cold calling campaign, but it's going to be a lot more targeted than, you know, call every absentee landlord in North Texas. Like, I don't have time for that. Um, and if you're starting off, you probably don't have time for that either. 
What about the water shutoff? Oh, same thing. Same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Same thing. Uh, you're going to get, and you're going to get more junk with that. So you're going to get a bunch of people that forgot to pay their bills. Uh, it's going to be a little bit of a trailing data too. I mean, let's be honest, you cannot pay your water bill for about three or four months before they actually shut it off. So it's not, you know, it's not the best data, but it's going to have, it's going to be a potentially distressed point on someone that you can call. And all of it's, all of us to a certain extent, volume-based, even PPC, which is relatively, uh, I would say kind of reverse targeted, but the campaigns are targeted. Um, there's still a volume component, so you're not going to convert, you know, every phone call but you're going to convert a certain percentage of that. And then the better you get at talking to people, the better you get at optimizing exit strategies for the people, the higher your conversion rate, you know, higher your conversion rate gets and the more money you make. So essentially what I hear you saying is like, try to, if you're going to do cold calling, instead of just getting like a list of everybody in the County, try to find people that are going through something like either the house burned down, uh, they're, they have a pre foreclosure. There's a tax lien. They have some sort of life event basically happening in their life that would potentially trigger them to want to sell the property, which is great for our viewers to know. So, uh, you mentioned to me off camera that a good portion of your guys's business now comes from like referrals, like either through wholesalers or realtors, um, or just people in the community. Like if maybe I didn't want to do the PPC, if I didn't want to do the bandit times, if I didn't want to do the driving for dollars, or I didn't want a cold call. And I just wanted to build like a warm network of people that could potentially refer deals to me. How would I go about doing that? Go out there. And so don't do it the way we do it. We throw the events. So we put on all the events. Don't start out that way. Um, maybe end up that way. Eventually after you've been doing it for a while, go out there to every single event in town, network with realtors. Uh, it sounds tacky, but, Post stuff on Facebook, post that you're the guy that's doing real estate and just become known, just become known. And it's amazing what can happen that way. Um, I mentioned and again in our private group, I don't mean to bring it up for that, but we got guys in there that they build their entire business off of realtor referrals. People that are realtors that don't practice real estate except for maybe listing their own houses or an occasional friend and family thing. But we got people that are doing maybe 12, 15 deals a year just based on realtor referrals, going out to lunch with realtors. And what's the value proposition of that? Well, if you're a realtor, no offense to realtors, a lot of them are fantastic people, but generally they have a single exit strategy in mind, and that is put the property on the MLS and maximize the uh, sales price on the property for the client, because they think that inherently works in the best interest of the client. And for most clients, I mean, there's a reason the realtors are in business. For most clients, that is their best use of the property. But for folks that are inherited a property or maybe are embarrassed about the property, don't want a bunch of people walking through the property, as business guys, as you know, realtors or whatever, we think, well, as much money as we can make is the best. So now we project that assumption on the other guy, on the seller. And if we do that, we're going to be, A, leaving money on the table, but also we're not going to even be respecting what the seller actually wants out of the situation. So networking with realtors, building these relationships, you're going to be able to offer a solution to a seller where everyone's happy. Uh, you're going to be able to explain to them, well, here's why I can only afford to pay this much because here's the transactional cost. Here's the renovation cost and it's nothing against your house. It's a very nice house, but you know, we both know it has some deferred maintenance It's you know, missing a ceiling. Um, and now here's a solution that I can provide for you. And you can even be honest. Like you can very often, well, I wouldn't say you can even be, you, you need to be honest with sellers because they need to know that you're in the business to make money. But the way you make money is by providing a service to the seller. That's, you know, outside of just maximizing the money they can make. If they're going to maximize their money by maybe hiring the contract and doing it themselves, but if they don't have the 30 to 100 to 200K to dump into the house, you know, how are they going to do that? So it's a, it's a huge, huge benefit. 
Now on the wholesaler side, um, we do an education process with wholesalers because wholesalers is probably the lowest barrier to entry in the marketplace for someone that wants to work their butt off and make some good transactional income. Uh, but inherently, because of a low barrier to entry, it's going to have a lot of people that are fundamentally maybe not the best at doing the actual process, explaining the thing. So we'll, uh, we'll mentor wholesalers and we'll work with them if they have a lead that they are having trouble converting. Not necessarily even from the seller's perspective, maybe from a title perspective or an airship perspective or something else. Now, we'll mentor that, mentor that wholesaler and we'll work with them to work through the deal. And then we'll either close on it in-house or we'll JV with them and help them dispose help them dispose the thing on the back end and split the fee, you know, however it's equitable between the wholesaler and us. And as, I mean, it's a great business model. It's just the more you can provide value at every step of the transactional process, and the more you can control multiple steps of the transactional process, the more money you can make for sure. And one way you do that is absolutely by networking with these folks that are already moving deals. And and nowadays you guys run like uh, you said uh, you guys run a, a RIA event now or a real estate investment uh, yeah. asso- association. Um, yeah. What what is it? So it's it's I mean it's a big networking it's a networking get together. Um, last year I think we threw four quarterly ones at a pretty big scale. So we had uh, I'm not sure four to six hundred people at those. They were they were they were fun. Um, they're a pain in the butt though. They're you know, five hours of, uh, speakers and vendors and all that stuff. So it's great for us. I would much rather go to that and like, just talk to people, uh, than actually put it on myself. So that's why I say, you know, don't start out doing that. And then monthly we'll throw, uh, we'll throw either a mixer that's a little bit more scaled down, a little more intimate, the people that are actually doing deals and we'll charge maybe 25 bucks or something like that. Um, but we'll get people that are actually doing deals and we'll get a good referral base. And then we started doing actually in our office little in-office uh, informal masterminds uh, once every, mm, I think it's once a, actually I think we're doing that once a month now. And we'll get not even that many people, 20, 30 people, but we'll get wholesalers, we'll get people that are more interested in like, like actually having a conversation. So it's kind of three different levels that we do. Um, I would say the cheapest and smallest ones that we do actually probably have the best outcome for us, at least in terms of like, you can see one-on-one correlation because we'll get, like I said, 20, 30 people hanging out in the room talking about like we'll be 100 percent honest we'll talk about what's working and what's not working for us and then how we can help people and then we'll just go around the room and solve problems for folks um that's the best one the next one that we do is we do the one that's we get maybe 100 people 125 people and it's more scaled down more mixer oriented with maybe like a quick presentation something like that but it's more like you know drinks cocktail and pizza and that's why we charge 25 bucks and then the one that's really we're kind of kind of reevaluated is the big event the four to six hundred people event um and it's just it's it's like barely controlled at best chaos, uh, but we'll get you know we'll get speakers, we'll get uh, presentations, we'll get lenders, we'll get sponsors. It's it's a pain in the butt. But go to that stuff and talk to other people doing deals. You'll be able to tell who's doing deals uh, just for, just from talking to a few people. The richest guy there is going to be in the back, just watching. So talk to that guy. That's funny. You know, you know, it's uh, funny or what I really enjoyed how you said that realtors only have like one exit strategy, which is to list it. And uh, I think as even for realtors watching this, it's important that you guys learn different exit strategies. That way you can provide different solutions for the client. Because sometimes as real estate agents, we're already talking to the right people. And if you don't have different exit strategies, you're missing out on opportunities as well, too. And you're leaving tons of money on the table. And like, you're, you're right. Some people don't want to list. A, like, I remember being at a listing presentation where with a guy and I told him, I can get you 700 easy for this property. He's like, I don't want that. 
I just want an offer for 600,000 cash. I don't want that. I don't want to list it. I don't want anybody going through my home. I don't want that uncertainty. Literally, we made him the offer at 600,000. He, he, he took it. We sold it for 800,000 fixed up completely, but he didn't want that, you know, so different people want different things. And if you don't have multiple solutions for them, you're going to miss out on different opera opportunities for them. Um, so I think real estate, uh, building relations with realtors that can get you some deals because a good portion of the deals goes on, uh, goes on the MLS. There's still deals on the MLS, uh, wholesalers as well too. We've done several deals from wholesalers as well too, which I think is great and low cost as well too. They'll literally take care of all the marketing and send you just, Hey, look, this is what you can buy it for. This is what you can resell it for. Um, what about like we briefly covered direct mail if somebody wanted to implement direct mail does that even still work uh, if you ask the mail houses you just mail everyone in the city and eventually get a deal if, <laughs> so if you ask the people that know how to do it and know how to make it work the way direct mail works is one of two uh types of ways either a long-term drip campaign so it's almost like cold calling but maybe a little bit better because it's a long-term drip campaign so you're going to mail a a presumed um a presumed distress list so again I, I bring the biggest like presumed distress list out there the absentee landlord high equity list but you know you, you fine-tune that you narrow it down and then you uh you approach it from a campaign perspective so one way that works well for people for example in our market not to give away too many secrets i guess is like a long-term drip on a probate because why don't i want to call someone right after it's a morbid situation but we buy unfortunately we buy a lot of probate houses because dying is a natural process of life and inherently at least in our market california might be a little bit different oh, absolutely distressed. they don't want to deal with it they want to take out the memories and they don't want to deal with the crap and i get it because i would rather walk a burnout house or a hoarder house than a probate house because like man, it's kind of sad they already took all the cool shit out of here and all that's left is the stuff that wasn't worth their time to throw out um and we make money on that so set up a mail campaign for a drip campaign for a probate list and you can get probate lists from a lot of the big list providers, or you can get them directly from the county. But do a 12 to 18 to 24 month campaign on something like that with specific letters. And why is that? Because month one, every guy in the city is going to be mailing those guys. And we don't even we don't mail them out month one or month two because I'm not interested in competing with a line out the door to go talk to someone. I want to be the guy they call six months down the road, nine months down the road, 12 months down the road when they're out of the probate process, when they've dealt with some of the emotional trauma from the situation. And when they're really just looking for a solution to what remains of their problem, because they've already dealt with the legal aspects of their problem. And then we can have a more rational conversation about taking care of the house, about throwing out, about buying it, about giving them a reasonable price, and then about, you know, taking care of whatever issue they fundamentally have with the place. So that's a long-term kind of drip campaign. And fundamentally, every mail campaign, I think, is a long-term drip campaign that you have to either, either you're like geographically specific, so you're just going to mail all the houses in a certain area and you're going to be known as the guy in that area or you're going to and you, you know however big you are is however big the area dictates i guess or you're going to you're going to pick some kind of list and treat it as a as a follow-up campaign and i say that with a caveat is for example a lot of people mail out pre foreclosures well if someone lost their house last tuesday and you're mailing them out on wednesday you're not doing anyone any good so you're just wasting money so definitely consider what the lead source is you're trying to target and attack and then you know optimize your campaign to adjust for that lead source because each distressed seller is going to have a different you know distressing factor that caused the distress for them and then adjust your approach to that respect not in a way to 
uh, take advantage of sellers because we're never there to do that, but we're there to optimize Solve our solution for what the seller actually needs. Absolutely. Yeah. Good. What about social media? Like uh, any tactics there, like Facebook groups, classified ads, anything like that? Yeah, that stuff is so tacky, man. It's so tacky. It was so nauseating for me to post like a profit check from a wholesale back in the day. And the crazy thing is business just goes like that. Because, <laughs> again, I alluded to it. You get known as the guy that does that stuff. Um, and it's going to depend a little bit on the market. But Facebook groups and the social media stuff is very active in North Texas. There tends to be some... Uh, cat calling and inviting here and there among some of the guys out there doing it too. So you got to kind of stay as well as you can above that. But if you get known, even in your own like personal network, we've, we bought houses for sure that referrals from people that just know that we have to be in business. Um, we've gotten investors, friends of mine from college that are seeing what we've done in like in North Texas. And I, again, from San Diego, I went to university of San Diego in Southern California. Um, I've had investors that saw what we're doing out here in Dallas. Like, Hey, let me invest with you. Let me go fund one of your flips. Let me go get in on a rental with you. And so you, you don't really know what it is, any uh, brand building approach to marketing. So I think that's what that is. You know, billboards are brand building, social media posts are brand building, uh, Twitter, uh, well, Twitter's whatever, but Instagram is brand building. I bought houses off Instagram before people hit me up because I see our Instagram posts. So all that stuff is brand building and it's time consuming and it's intensive and it's a unknown payout in the back end. But if you do it well, it does really, it can do really well for your business for sure. But you got to be strategic about it. You got to be relatively non-offensive, but still memorable. So there's kind of a line that I think is a good way to walk. Uh, but it, it, it absolutely works very well. We actually just went viral on my business partner's, uh, what's it called? TikTok. Uh, probably 10 million combined, combined views where wow. uh, we had a, yeah, no kidding. We had a squatter break into a house that was already fully renovated. She broke the lock and walked in. One of the neighbors called us like the day of. So they go down there and go in the house and confront her and call the cops. Unfortunately, it was a little bit of a messed up situation. So she gets locked up and they happen to record it. But I had 10 million views. And even in Texas, we got a lot of all the all the comments were positive. Like, man, that's just a crappy situation. I thought we'd get some hate, but we didn't get a whole lot of hate. So that was kind of cool. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Good for you. Not awesome that that happened or that the, yeah, uh, the business. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's the realities of real estate. It doesn't make it on HGTV. Well, it's funny because a lot of people think like, oh, man, like I'm just going to get uh, I'm going to become a real estate investor, start making all this money. But there's a lot of things that go uh, uh, wrong when flipping houses or when buying properties or making offers. You have to deal with so many different personalities, so many different situations, so many different distress points. Um, what I wanted to ask you, what about buying houses at foreclosure? Have you guys ever done that at all? You know, it's funny. I've been in real estate since 2006. I've never been to an auction. Uh, I've heard about them. I know folks that go. Um, I've never been to one. So, it, it, so in, in, you know what? I should have gone. I should have gone to the auction a whole bunch in about 2009 to about 2012, probably. Yeah. Um, right now, it's a great place to get buyers because if those guys are paying cash, I mean, we're at a market top. Let's be honest. We're, I don't know if we're peaking or coming down a little bit, but we're definitely, we're high. Um, so if people are buying at the auction, then A, they have cash. So you know that. But B, they're willing to, at least in this market, overpay for stuff because a lot of that is sight unseen. And so maybe that's where you find someone who wants to buy one of your wholesale deals or one of your wholesale deals or a private lender for one of your other deals. So that's a good strategy. Um, auctions, I think, work well for buying really good deals, maybe a little bit lower in the market, in, in my opinion. 
Yeah, no, I, I think you got to go fishing where the fish are. So like there was a time where there was a lot of foreclosures and the time was 2008, 2009. So there was an abundant uh, number of houses going to auction. And right now, like at least in our area, foreclosures are down uh, tremendously, even though uh, they may go up in the future, but there's just not a lot of foreclosures as well too. Cool. So Any if, other if I could actually, just really quick, Yeah, just uh -huh. really quick on that, actually, if I could just add to it. So we, we've got an uptick quite a bit. I would say probably 15 to 20% of our inbound leads right now are pre-foreclosure, um, which are going to show up on the foreclosure docket for foreclosures in Texas are once every uh, once a month on Tuesdays, first Tuesday of the month. Um, and very often we get a foreclosure in about a week to two weeks before the actual auction and we can stop the foreclosure and buy the house. I would rather approach the buyer or approach the seller before they before. go to auction instead of after they go to auction because you're going to see on the list we stopped a foreclosure last uh this month uh march whatever we're in the day before the foreclosure that monday well the the list is already posted people have already gone like driven by the house looked at it they've already done some due diligence they haven't gotten into it obviously but we stopped it the day before we gave the sellers 50k in equity it was awesome for them but it's 50k more than they would have gotten if they waited one more day to close the thing but if you're counting on buying that house at auction, well, I already got it. So I would rather get the I'd rather get the deal pre-auction than post-auction personally. Not only that, but when you get it after auction, sometimes you're inheriting the previous owner, and that might not be the. Uh, sometimes people do things in spite, so they may pour cement down the toilet or just do different things. Um, yeah, you do that, and you also inherit it. I mean, I, I think at least in California, but I think in Texas too, you inherit a tenant of sufferance basically because the previous uh, the previous owner now becomes a tenant. So now you have to deal with an adversarial position where, hey, this jerk investor just bought my house. And yeah, and you can knock on out. the door, you can cash for keys, but now maybe you're in an eviction situation and evictions can go, you know, the outcome's always the same, but the process for getting there is different. It can go the easy way or the hard way. And I'd rather not do it either kind of way because they're never pleasant. So I'd rather, I'd rather give the seller some equity, maybe even give them a small lease back if they need some time to move out and be in a favorable position with the seller as opposed to an adversarial position with the seller afterwards. I'd rather be a benefit to the seller than, let's be honest, all, the, all that an auction does is benefits the lender. Love it. Now, anything else or any other tips if somebody wanted to find like an off-market uh, property or if they wanted to find flip houses or fixer-uppers, how to find fixer-upper homes off-market, uh, any other tips that you think would be helpful for people? Pick one strategy. Pick one strategy, figure out how to make it work for you, Make sure it's compatible for what your personality type is and what your skill set is, and then do it. And don't uh, get on YouTube University and look at every single video on every single way. Don't get information overload or analysis paralysis or any of that stuff. Um, pick a strategy and just do it. And they all work, uh, but they don't all work in all market cycles, and they don't all work in all markets. So pick one that works. You're not going to drop a bunch of bandit signs in um, uh, well, What's the market everyone's going to know? In the Beverly most, like, Hills. In the, yeah, Beverly Hills. You're not going to get a lot of return rate on that, right? So pick, you know, pick the market where bandit signs are going to work if you're going to do that. Pick a list for cold calling and then and then follow up diligently. Once you get a lead, follow up diligently with a lead, but always be originating on the lead source too. And that's how you start to build the pipeline and start to build up your volume. I love it. Now, you said you had a like a Facebook group or a, a group that you manage. Uh, if somebody wanted to get in touch with you or maybe – uh, I don't know if you have any coaching programs or anything like that. If somebody wanted to connect with you guys, what would be the best way for them to, to do that? Oh, no, absolutely. I appreciate that. So we actually run a mastermind and some coaching stuff, and uh, it's, it's pretty fun. So that's reiaf.com. I don't know what AF stands for, but REI is real estate investing. Um, and that's where you can find us. But super active on social media. 
uh, TJ Cozen on Instagram, TJ Cozen on Facebook. Uh, we have a uh, REIAF Facebook group that's very public. Uh, it's not, it's active. Um, and we, we keep it going. Uh, shoot, you can find my personal phone, cell phone number and call me if you want to. When we went when we went viral on that video, my wife's actual cell phone number was on the realtor sign. So that was kind of weird. She got a bunch of junk calls that were pretty crazy there for a couple of days. Like, what? That's weird. And then she found out what was happening. It's like, oh, that's what it is. So eh, it happens. That's funny. Cool. Well, uh, I just want to say thank you, TJ. I think that this was helpful for a lot of the viewers. Uh, I appreciate, obviously, you coming on the show, and maybe in the future we can do another uh, episode. Uh, for all of our viewers out there, uh, we had TJ Cozen. He went over how to find flip houses, uh, how to find fixer-upper homes, and basically just how to have multiple different just different marketing channels uh, that you can have, and then just choose the one that obviously benefits you the most. If you've enjoyed this episode, make sure to hit that subscribe button. If you feel that this episode would be helpful, Oh, and you want to share it with a friend, make sure to hit that share button. Once again, thank you so much. And thank you, TJ, for being on the show. And to our viewers, until next time.